Well, good morning again, church. Thank you so much for gathering here this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this YMCA gymnasium. And for those of you that are uh, gathering with us online, thanks for bringing the church into your dining room, your living room. Thanks for inviting us into those uh, spaces. And uh, if you're somebody that's new to Crosspoint, again, my name is Jamie, and it's my great honor, it's my joy to serve as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. Uh, it's my joy to be able to open up the scriptures with you all this morning as we are beginning a brand new series. And so a couple things to kind of help us in this and to follow along and to, to study. It is going to be a deep dive through the book of John, looking at the life of Jesus. And so as we thought about, um, this was honestly even in the works pre-pandemic, but as we thought and prayed through and just discussed what should we camp out in in 2021? There seemed like no better thing to do than not only obviously be in the Bible, but specifically, let's just get some time with Jesus. Let's explore the real Jesus. Let's, let's examine his life. Let's, let's hear his invitation to understand the life that he brings us. And so over the next few weeks, and by few, I mean 42 weeks, all right? So if you're wondering like, what's the plan from here now, we might pivot if there's things that happen, but right from here until Advent 2021, okay? So those of you that are planners, you're like, woohoo, I know what to expect. All right, so Come and See is this series we're gonna be in looking at the Gospel of John. And so this morning, if you got a phone, you can go to cpwp.life, swipe over to the card that says message notes, and anything we talk about this morning, things that are up on the screen, space to take notes, it's all there. Additionally, all right, we have a gift for you. If you're here in person, you can pick up one of these. If you didn't get one on the way in, you can get one on the way out. If you're gathering with us online, you're like, hey, what about us? Like, we'll have extra copies at the branch, and so email one of us as a staff, make arrangements to stop by and pick that up. Uh, but we have these, they're a scripture journal, so you should have maybe gotten one of these, or they're out on the tables afterwards. This is just the Gospel of John, okay? And you are welcome to bring this uh, with you. Um, there's the text on one side and space to take notes. And our hope is that you would utilize this throughout this series, really throughout 2021, and be able to look back at what the Lord has taught you and what he's revealing to you and space to write out prayer requests and pray through and to see all the ways that the Lord works in and through a study of his word. So. I'm super excited, been looking forward to this for a long, long time. Now, I wanna tell you a story as we get into this, all right? Uh, there is a singer-songwriter, all right, um, that up until a couple of weeks ago, uh, most of America, which would probably include most of us, would not have recognized this man that you see up there on the screen. All right, if he had walked into, you know, uh, walking around your neighborhood or walked into, you know, a restaurant you were at, you probably wouldn't have known who he is, who he, he was, he, it wouldn't have stood out to you. This is a man whose name is Thad Cockrell, all right, and so for the last 20 plus years, he has been a singer-songwriter just trying to make a go of it in Nashville, Tennessee. And one of the things that happened in 2020 is he released his latest album. It was set to release this past summer. It released, I believe, in July. And as you can imagine, when you can't be out promoting, when you can't do concerts, when you can't go do interviews, like, it just was kind of flatlined. And so, though he had hoped that this might be his big break, that something, you know, amazing would happen with this album that he'd worked so hard on, what ends up happening is, like, nobody knows about it. Um, and so... The rest of 2020 goes by. And on January 3rd of 2021, he says that he wrote down some goals. He began to write out some goals regarding maybe his health and finances and different things. And then one of the things he wrote out is 
find a new career. So on January 3rd, 2021, Thad Cockrell, who had been this singer-songwriter for over 20 years, is like, this just, it might be over. Like, it's probably done. January 4th, he emails his managers um, and he sends them a list of things he's gonna be working on, including, guys, I think I might be hanging it up. I need to find a new career. I'm just letting you know. Now, while all of this is happening, what Thad Cockrell doesn't realize, all right, is that there is a man around this same time that has left his home in New York City who's gotten in the car to drive to a hardware store because he needs a new light switch. And in New York City, stores had just started to reopen and he thought, hey, I can maybe fix this and not burn the whole house down. And so he goes and he gets a light switch. And as he is walking the aisles of this hardware store in New York City, he hears a song. And he hears this song playing through the hardware store speakers and he's like, whoa, what is this? This is amazing, I love this. But he doesn't recognize the artist, he's not sure who it is. So what does he do? Some of you would know what to do in this moment. He gets his phone out, he opens up the app Shazam, right? And he holds it up. If you don't know what Shazam is, it will listen to whatever's playing and tell you, all right, the name of the song and the artist. And so this man in a hardware store in New York City, well, Thad Cockrell thinks his career is over. He hears this song. And Shazam says, that is a song by Thad Cockrell called Swingin'. And the guy's like, wow. He checks out of the hardware store, pays for the, the light switch, gets in his car, downloads that song, and just epically rocks out to that song on his whole drive home. Now what's so fascinating about this particular story is not that there was a man that liked the song, although that's cool. The man who liked the song was Jimmy Fallon of The Tonight Show. And Jimmy Fallon calls his producers almost immediately and was like, I don't know who this dude is, but Thad Cockrell, this song is epic. I mean, this is the song that we need right now. This is amazing. And he tells his producers, I need you to book Thad Cockrell. On January 5th now, one day after Thad had sent his managers, hey, I need to find a new career, they call him and he thinks it's about, hey, we need to talk about kind of our exit strategy and all of this stuff. And they're like, no, 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 Thad, stop it. The Tonight Show just called and they want to book you. Jimmy Fallon loves your song. And as he tells the story, he's like, after about a minute of silence and then like another minute of just sobbing uncontrollably, he finally realizes what is happening. And so on January 26th, Thad Cockrell performed his song Swing it with the Roots Band featured on The Tonight Show, and within a couple of days of that, the number one played and downloaded song on Apple Music and other services was his song, Swingin', all right? I mean, what an amazing transformation that took place. He's been featured on several like, morning shows now, and him telling the, this particular story. It was an invitation that literally was life-altering, to be in a spot of just kind of despair and dejection and just like ready to hang it up, and then a call then a summons, then an invitation that changed everything. Now I want us to keep that in mind, that's an amazing story, but what we find throughout the book of John over and over and over again is an invitation. And it's an invitation from the God of the universe, it's an invitation from Jesus himself. And when we heed this call, when we embrace this call, when we follow Jesus and we bring our doubts and our confusion and our questions and our anxiety and we're just like, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm here. When we heed his call, 
it changes everything. And as amazing as it would be to have your song being played and downloaded and all of that, we have an opportunity to be invited by the Lord Jesus himself. And so throughout this book of John, just as a way to kind of set this up, we are looking at, that's why we've entitled this, Come and See. There's this invitational language that John, who's writing this, is using throughout the book over and over and over again. Let me just call your attention to a few of these particular places. In John chapter one, verses 38 to 39, when Jesus turned and noticed them, noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? So he's, he's, got some, he's got some fans now. They're starting to follow him, right? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What's Jesus' response? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. All these details that John is telling us, they went and they got time with Jesus. He invites people in. Early on, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks. This morning it really is more just sort of introduction to this book. We're gonna start making our way through it beginning next week, starting in John chapter one, verse one, and then we're just gonna start plowing through it. But in John chapter one, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Like he's so pumped, he's so excited. And Nathaniel, being a little bit cynical, a little jaded, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. And look at Philip's response. What does John want us to hear in this moment? Hey, come and see. Why don't you come and get some time with Jesus? Why don't you come and spend some time with him? Why don't you come and just see for yourself? John chapter four, Jesus is traveling in the land of Samaria, and we'll look at this in more detail in the weeks ahead, but there's this woman and this interaction that he has with this, with this woman, and it says this, the woman left her water jar, they're at this well, went into town and told the people, come see. Again, John wants us to hear, God wants us to hear the invitational language. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now that's kind of a terrifying thought, unless you know, yeah, but it's Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? So they left the town and made their way to him. What are we seeing? Invitation, invitation, invitation. John wants us to know, it's not just for the people during that time, what God is doing through his servant John is letting us know a couple thousand years later. Come on, come see. Come see the real Jesus. Invite your friends to come see. Invite your family members to come see. Invite the ones that are jaded and cynical and have been burned by the church. Come and see. You need to get time with Jesus. And not only are we invited, we get to invite Jesus into our pain, our difficulty, our suffering. This is what happens in John chapter 11 as his friend Lazarus has died and Jesus says, where have you put him, he asks. Lord, they told him, come and see. And what do you see? Besides the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize, Jesus wept. And also one of the most profound verses in all of the scriptures, that Jesus empathizes, he enters in, he heeds the invitation to say, I'm with you, I'm alongside of you, I care about your pain, I care about your suffering, I am with you, don't forget that. And then you're at the very end, the conclusion to the great book of John. In John chapter 21, after Jesus has arisen from the dead, he has been resurrected, and the disciples had all been scattered, and they had, you know, they had like rejected him, and they had disappeared, and they had denied him, and all this crazy stuff that had happened. Here's what happens. John 21, Jesus' invitation. Come, 
Let's have a meal together. Come and have breakfast. And for people to have a meal together was a way of saying, I accept you, you belong, you're with me. Jesus told them, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And so what I want us to see in this as we get into this great book, and as we study it together and we journey through it, is would we heed and would we hear that invitational call of Jesus who invites us, hey, come and explore this. And so if you've got doubts, bring them to Jesus. You've got things that are frustrating, maybe about just faith, or maybe you feel stuck, bring it to Jesus. Would you come and see, and would you invite other people? What we see throughout this great book is sort of like you picture, it's like this welcome mat that's been laid out. All are welcome here. It literally doesn't matter what your past has been. The call here, the invitation is to simply come and to see, to get time with Jesus. If you've never explored the reality of Jesus, if you've got friends, family members that have never really explored, like you owe it to yourself. What do you have got to lose? What do you have to lose? Come and see and explore. And what we will see time and time again, maybe just two categories to put this in, it's kind of a, at a high level. When you say all are welcome, you will see Jesus time and time again dealing with those that we might categorize as rebellious and those that we would categorize as religious. And so the rebellious, I already read one of the texts, John chapter four, the Samaritan woman at the well. When you learn about her story, you will realize very quickly that she was rebellious. It's people throughout this story that are breaking lots of commandments and have done lots of things that go against God's will and what does Jesus invite them to? He doesn't reject them, he doesn't condemn them. When he gets to John chapter eight and the woman caught in adultery, he doesn't stone her to death and encourage other people to do that. He shows mercy, he shows compassion. This is his posture toward the rebellious. But also we're gonna read in John chapter three, when a Pharisee, a religious man, a religious leader, the one who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus undercover, like literally comes at night so as not to be seen and wants to have a conversation with Jesus. Jesus invites him too. Jesus has a heart for the rebellious and the religious. And so if you've been in church your entire life and you're just used to just sort of like playing by a certain set of rules, and maybe you're burned out from it, Jesus is saying to you, come. Come and experience my rest. Come and experience the life that only I can bring. And so I am so excited to be able to dive into this. Even if you're not excited, I just know, like, this is gonna be good for my soul. Like, I need to be spending time studying the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. Like you can't think of anything more important, more transforming that could take place together in this year. And given the year that we've all had and are still experiencing, to be able to spend time studying the life of Jesus together is a remarkable gift that God has given. And so just a couple things, as we look at that invitation, I'll put a couple things before you. If you want resources, there's tons of stuff. I'm gonna just give you a high level, just a couple words of introduction as we look at the book of John to sort of orient us. Now, you can find the commentaries. I read a bunch of them that this week. I mean, you'll find like hundreds of pages written, lots of ink that is spilled on talking about the author and the date and the audience. It's great. I'm just not gonna give you all that right now. I'm just gonna give you some high level things. So for one, the author, is John, 
the son of Zebedee. He is one of the 12. One of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples, right? So that is the one who is writing this. Though he does not ever say that in the book, through various kind of textual clues and different things, you realize, okay, this is John the apostle. John the disciple is writing this. Along with that, one of the things that we'll see start to occur is the writer refers to himself in a particular way. And maybe you know this about John. Throughout, you'll see this phrase that comes up, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how the author of the book of John refers to himself. Now, I'll be honest. It wasn't until recently, honestly, that I would think of that. I'm like, dude, what's what's with this guy? Like, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved as if he didn't love everybody else and he's just gotta like insert that in there. It's like, are you that insecure that you gotta be labeling it? Like, let everybody know, like, well, I'm the one that Jesus loved as if he's some sort of special snowflake, right? Like, what is going on here? But what I heard somebody teach on recently and it sort of changed my perspective. I think this is it. It's not that John is saying, like, I'm the only one that Jesus loved. It's that he is so secure in his identity. He knows the love that Jesus has for him that that's how he wants to describe himself. Like, I am one who's been caught up, swept up into the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter what I've done, what I will do. I know that I belong to him. And so what is true of John was true of the other disciples. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've heeded his invitation... It is true of you. And so hear that as well throughout this study through the book of John. As we heed that call, as we get invited in to come and to see Jesus and to experience all that he has for us, know this. You've got nothing to prove. You are the disciple that Jesus loves. Not just sometime in the past, not just when you had your act all together and you were on some sort of spiritual high or you were doing a bunch of things that you thought God would approve of. He loves you at your worst. You are the disciple that Jesus loves with an ongoing, never-ending, always and forever love. And when that grips our hearts, we can't but respond like we see the disciples, like, hey, just come and see. I, I, I can't explain it all to you. I can't perfectly articulate why you should believe in him. All I know is that the God of the universe loves me, cares for me, and that I'm his disciple, I'm his follower, and it's the greatest thing ever. And so that's one of the key things, this author, all right? A lot of scholars believe between 70 to 90 AD, probably written during that time period. Some would say perhaps even earlier than that because the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and John makes a lot of references to the temple, so perhaps it hadn't even been destroyed at that point. All of it to say is this, this is very early on in the first century. This wasn't hundreds of years later that somebody was like, oh, we should make up some stuff about Jesus. This was an eyewitness to Jesus, 70 to 90 AD, all right? Jesus, early 30s dies. So we're not talking, I mean, that long. That this is a historical eyewitness, somebody that traveled with Jesus. And then one of the additional things, this will be the last thing I'll say on, on this, is there really is a unique perspective that John gives us. Sometimes you hear this term, it gets thrown out a lot, like, oh, it's one of the gospels. Um, and then we talk about, well, there's the gospel and there's gospels, and what, what do we mean? There's gospel music, and it, okay, it can all get very confusing. But when we talk about the gospels, it's 
these biographies of the life of Jesus. And they're recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptics, all right? And so what we find in John, though, is that it's something different. It's not contradictory, it's addition to, it's extra, it's like a different perspective, a different vantage point. It, it just kind of rounds out the picture. So there's some very unique things where Matthew, Mark, and Luke in many ways are just describing like, this is what Jesus did and this is what he said and it's kind of short, pithy sort of sayings. Like maybe the things that you see in like old Jesus films or Jesus walks around kind of talking very robotically and like with these one-liners, right? Like that tends to come out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and just sort of this almost rapid fire kind of pace, particularly the book of Mark. But John gives us a bunch of stories, a bunch of encounters that are different from the others. And so it's this really unique perspective that over and over again, he's driving at the identity of Jesus. To use the theological term, John has this amazingly high Christology, this study of the person and work of Christ, of Jesus, of who he is and what he came to do. And so it's gonna be amazing as we get to unpack this and we get to look and even just the way that you'll see that John lays this out, it is masterful. Now he had help, all right? It wasn't that he was just brilliant, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But if you haven't done this, I would encourage you, I sent it out in the email this week and we can post it on social media, but if you go to bibleproject.com and you click on the introduction to the book of John and you'll watch this short little seven or eight minute video, it begins to lay out for you how beautifully organized this whole book is. John right away by the end of chapter one is showing us his, his affinity for groupings of seven. And so we're gonna get seven signs. We're gonna get seven I am statements. And there's all these things that are trying to communicate over and over again who Jesus is. So there's an invitation. That's the introduction. And what I wanna spend the rest of our time together this morning on is what's the purpose of the book? And we're kind of getting into it already, but I love that John in chapter 20 wants to make it abundantly clear. Like maybe you've read a book before and you're like, I don't know. And you sit around with some friends and you discuss like, hey, what was the point of this? Or you watch some, you know, you watch some movie or like some Christopher Nolan movie and you're like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what that, the point of that movie was. Or like some indie film, you're like, I, I don't know. Like what was this all about? John doesn't want to leave it up to mystery. He wants to make it explicitly clear what his intentions are in writing this. And so look with me, go to John chapter 20. Again, this is at cpwp.life in the message notes. But let me just read this, and we'll talk about this for a few moments. And this will set the stage for everything else that we're going to look at in the weeks and the months ahead studying this together. So the intention, John 20, verses 30 to 31, says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. As he nears the end of this account, there's sort of this epilogue, which is chapter 21, but really the account is finished here at the end of chapter 20. The resurrection has occurred, and John is just like, friends, here's what I want you to know. 
I could have written more things, all right? He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. He's like, there's no lack of material. There are so many things that Jesus did. Like I could tell stories for days and I wouldn't run out of material. There's so many things, but he's like, I've tried to summarize. I've tried to give you some of the highlights. I've tried to put this together and I wrote them down. And so some of the things that he talks about, and I mentioned this a moment ago, like these groupings of seven, we're gonna look at what are these seven signs, the scripture journal that you have will highlight, hey, here's the first sign and the second sign. And so we're gonna look at Jesus by, in chapter two, turning water into wine, not grape juice, wine. We'll get to that, all right? So the healing of the officer's son, we're gonna see that, sign number two, the, the healing of the lame man, sign number three, sign number four, the feeding of the 5,000, sign number five, the walking on the water, sign number six, the healing of the man born blind, and then as this turning point here, sign number seven, which brings us into the account that John begins in chapter, like, kind of in 12 and into 13, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That happens in John chapter 11, and then from there on forward, it starts to zero in on, from 13 through the end, Jesus' final days, people turning against him. There is a threat now on his life and what that actually looks like, and it occurs after this seventh sign. And so this is how it's laid out. All of these things have been written, and then look at what John says. It's not just so you and I might win Bible trivia and be like, oh, what was the fourth sign? Did anyone know? All right, and like you get a sticker next to your name, all right, like some sort of Sunday school chart. All right, what is happening here is these have been written so that it would change your life, that it would be transforming, that it wouldn't just be about cognitively knowing some things. This is, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. He is the God-man. What we're gonna see in chapter one, it's this remarkable view that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And if you can fully wrap your mind around that, you get to teach next week, all right? Because like, it's this unbelievable thing and it's what is true. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so friends, as we journey through this series, that's the goal and I love that John lays it out for us. What are we gonna be doing? And these 40-some weeks that we're going to spend together going through this book, working our way through this text, it's not to hear my thoughts or opinions or little anecdotes or little quotes or stories or whatever. It's so that you and I would meet the real Jesus. These are written that you may believe. Not just that Jesus historically lived. That's important, but there's lots of people that give lip service to that. Oh, yeah, I get it. He was a great teacher. I believe that he historically lived. There was this you know, Jewish man in the, you know, around Palestine that, that lived a couple thousand years ago. I got no problem with that. That's not why John wrote this. It's not just a general history in the way that like, oh, well, Abraham Lincoln lived or any other historical figure. He's trying to tell us that the long-awaited Messiah is Jesus. He's trying to tell us in no uncertain terms, that this Messiah is the actual son of God. It means he's equal to God. He is God himself. And that's what gets him killed. Because Jesus, in another grouping of seven that John records, tells us over and over again, I and the Father are one. I am he. And he begins using that phrase and ultimately it incites the people 
against him. And Jesus wants you to know, hey, I'm the greatest teacher that ever lived, right? Like, he, he's got amazing teachings and all that. He's doing these miracles. He's doing these, these signs. But it's all so that we would actually know he's the promised Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Because if we're going to have our sins forgiven, if we're going to actually find life, only God can pay for an infinite number of sins. God had to step into the picture. God had to intervene. God had to come and dwell among us, is what John chapter 1 is going to teach us. And then that theme will reverberate throughout the book of John. C.S. Lewis, in only the way that he can, says this. And I've used this quote before, but I want to come back to it as we think about just the identity of Jesus. It's not just that Jesus lived, that there's this historical person. It's the claim. John wants us to know. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Lewis, a mere Christianity, says it this way. I am trying to pre here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. He's speaking of Jesus here. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. And Lewis continues, so either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So let's not patronize Jesus. Let's not come to him on our own terms thinking like, okay, well, you know, I like this part about Jesus or I like this teacher. I can, a lot I can learn about him. No, no, no. You either just discard what he says or you submit to it, you surrender to it, you fall down at his feet. And like John is saying here, he is Lord, he is God, he is calling for your allegiance. And in that, it's the only way that we'll actually find life. And so Jesus says, I'm, I want you to have life. John says, I've written these things down so you might believe and that you might find life in his name. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And so think of these things as we close here, as we think about that word life, as we think about flourishing, as we think about more than just simply like the biology of it, just like, you know, your, your lungs continuing to be able to, to breathe, to take in air, to exhale, to be able to have your heart pumping. It's more than that. It's this true life. It's this flourishing. It's everything as God intended it to be. How do you get on that life? And throughout the book of John, there are three themes that we see over and over again. So be on the lookout for these. For one, Jesus brings life. John 10.10, 10, a thief, speaking of the enemy, speaking of Satan, speaking of the devil. A thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's the invitation, friends. Come and see. 
Life is not found in our rebellious ways. Life is not found in our religious ways or somewhere in between. Life is found when we realize and submit to and surrender to Jesus, your life. Jesus, you're the one that provides. Jesus, you're the one that I want to follow. Because everybody's the disciple, but not everybody's the disciple of Jesus. In every moment of every day, you and I are under pressure to be discipled by the narrative of the world. And Jesus comes along and says, here's the way. And he says, I actually bring life. Everything else is from the pit of hell and it will rob you of life. It may look tantalizing and sparkly and shiny and look amazing. Oh, I just gotta get that. I gotta get that career. I gotta get that relationship or I gotta get that level of income or go on that trip or get down to this certain weight or whatever it happens to be. And Jesus says, nope. It's not gonna cut it. Like that will actually rob you of life. Jesus says, I'm life, I bring you life. And then in John 14, Jesus actually is life. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an entirely exclusive claim. There is no other way to find life except through Jesus. And yet when we talk about the invitation, it's the most inclusive claim that's ever been made that Jesus says anybody can get in on this. From the wickedly rebellious to the wickedly religious, Jesus has come for us and he's inviting us. And if later on in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, this is why he came. He brings life, he is life. And the author of life would give his life. That is why the father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it up again. There's no accident. Jesus isn't like, oh, what is happening here? I never expected to end up on a cross. When he entered into the mess of our world, of our life, of your life, and of my life, he knew exactly where it would take him. He willingly did this. To die for your sin and my sin. To die for our wicked rebellion and our wicked religiosity that are basically the same thing. Thinking that we are gonna be God ourselves. We're gonna do what we wanna do. Whether it looks with this sort of like religious veneer or whether it looks like straight out rebellion, it doesn't actually matter. At the end of the day, we wanna be on the throne and Jesus is saying, get out of my seat. That belongs to me. Your spot is bowing down to me. And actually in there is where you actually find life. And Jesus comes for wicked, rebellious people like us and he dies the death that you deserve and that I deserve. And then he tells us he takes up his life again, that three days later he rises from the dead, that there's resurrection, that there's this new life. And now he's saying, hey, you can get in on this. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter what the future holds. You can get in on this and John wants us to know, God wants us to know, come and see, come and experience. And so church, as we go through this, as we pray, Let's be asking ourselves this, will you believe? And the interesting thing about the language there in verse 31 of John chapter 20, scholars have written hundreds and hundreds of pages trying to determine, is it about first time belief or ongoing belief? And we could get into the grammar, we could talk about the Greek, and we could talk about a bunch of things that would probably have, you know, like eyes would roll in the back, back of your head, right? But some of the more helpful things that I've read have said, why do we have to make it one or the other? That the very nature of coming to believe includes both. Well, certainly if you don't believe, come and believe in Jesus for the first time. Heed his invitation, accept his grace, accept the new life that he offers to you. 
And if you're here this morning already as a Christian, you're online, you're engaged with us, and you're participating that way, and you're already a follower of Jesus, like celebrate that reality, invite other people into that, but also know this, it's the language is also an ongoing day by day, moment by moment. Do you believe? Do you believe that life is found in Jesus and no other name? Do your finances, your bank account, does your, your, your schedule, your calendar, does things, do they reveal? Do they bear witness the reality of like, hey, I'm surrendered to Jesus. I'm surrendered to his will and loving him and pursuing him and engaging with his people and inviting other people into this and seeking to make disciples. Does your life bear witness to that? That's what it looks like to continually believe and to continue to cry out for Jesus. I need your help. It's why one of the big themes that makes John different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that John over and over again is gonna tell us too, Jesus is gonna send the helper. Jesus is gonna tell us it's better that he would leave because we get the Holy Spirit to come and indwell in us. And so church, that's what we have. We're not just waiting for the day. It's right here, right now. Life is here in the present. It's gonna be amazing in the future, but even now, the invitation, come and see and experience the life that Jesus has for us. So I'm gonna pray for us. I wanna ask you to consider these matters in preparation for even taking communion. So if you're here in person, you're a follower of Jesus, as the worship team leads us in this next song, when you're ready, come up and get the elements on either side of the stage. But please hold on to them until we can partake together. Those of you that are engaging with us at, at home, please go gather elements. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate in this meal. But I would ask you, as we sing this song, as you reflect, just think through it, like, what is it that you need to confess? And let's remember the good news that we get to celebrate of where life is found. And then just heed that invitation. Hey, Jesus, I'm opening myself up to come and to see whatever it is that you have for me. There's gonna be twists and turns and unexpected things, but it's going to be life transforming. It's life altering. It is way better than getting a call to be on The Tonight Show, as amazing as that would be. It's the God of the universe saying, come. I wanna call you my son, my daughter. I wanna walk with you. I wanna transform your life. So let me pray for us. And uh, as I said, as you're ready, you can come up and get the, the elements and we'll partake together after this song that we sing. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your willingness to send your son, that Jesus, that you left the heavenly realm and you entered into our world. The brokenness, the darkness, where so many things feel splintered and fractured and torn apart. And Jesus, we thank you that you've come to bring justice and love and flourishing, that you've come to bring life and to bring it abundantly. Not just a little bit, just not a little you know, dose here and there, but to have this flourishing, like an overwhelming sense of life. So Holy Spirit, I pray that both now and in the weeks to come, would you, by your grace, reveal to us where we need to repent, the sins that we need to confess, the ways we've tried to make life all about us and instead have found nothing but despair, confusion, depression. May we see that Jesus, you are the only source of life. And that when we mess up, may we not think we've got to grovel, but rather would we run to you 
You're the source of life. You're the one that brings life, that you died for our sins. We are the disciples that you love because of what you've accomplished on the cross. And so we give you praise for that. And so, God, as we sing songs now, as we partake in this meal that you've given to us, God, I pray in all of it that you would get your glory and that we as your people would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.